on today's episode. I was able to express them through the taste of Kogi. So when Kogi, when people first tasted the Kogi top, it was, I guess that was my first point of where I was able to write something, able to tell a story, but not with words. Because when people ate it, they felt a piece of themselves, mm-hmm. their childhood, if, especially for a lot of immigrant kids, they felt like finally someone um, understood them or, or they, because a lot of us that are immigrant kids, we grow up in double lives. So we have like our home life and then we go out into the real world mm-hmm. um, and we put on the face and then we live out there and we, and we mix in. But anyways, so I had all these burdens. And so when finally it was my time, because the last thing I'll say on this for the setup is that you're not supposed to talk about any of this shit. Right. Right. Yeah. You're not supposed to reveal any of the stuff. You're always supposed to just keep it to yourself and the pain you keep to yourself and you deal with your own mental struggles and your own doubt and your own self-doubt and all that. Welcome to the Modern Author Podcast. Your host, Eric Custer. Eric Custer. How do you tell your story? This episode, we're going to talk to really one of my favorite modern storytellers, um, Roy Choi. And uh, you may have seen Roy uh, on the Netflix show that he hosts with John Favreau called The Chef Show. You may have uh, seen his work through John's story of Chef, which is a story, uh, a movie about a food truck. You may have seen him on HBO helping people like Selena Gomez learn to cook. But you may not have seen this side of of Roy. Uh, Roy talks about writing his memoir, uh, the well-reviewed and critically acclaimed L.A. Sun. It's an incredible story talking about his roots, the challenges he went through, the the decision to not go to law school and to do this crazy thing of launching a food empire. He's now the founder of Koji, which is an incredible story, a food truck that has become a food movement. And I think what we talk about in this one is how do you tell your story? How do you do it in a way that's authentic? Many people came to him saying, oh, make your recipes. I want to know how to cook like you. But Roy did something different, and he did something in a way that was challenging, was hard, and he learned how to find his own way to create his voice. As someone who wasn't a writer, didn't want to write, um, he found a way to create, and that was by doing it with others, by finding a way to tell a story that worked with him, not just creating a recipe book, but really creating a story that he could tell through the power of food. Uh, If you've thought about telling your story, this is an episode do not miss. You will learn a lot about him, about it, and why telling our story is hard but we have to find a way to do it that works for ourselves. Roy Choi, enjoy the conversation. This is a keeper for you. Fans of Chef the Movie or the Chef Show on Netflix or really just awesome stories, Roy Choi will not disappoint. He, I think, has an amazing story of dropping out of law school in his first semester, finding that wasn't his purpose and deciding to follow Emerald and then go to culinary school and really like continuing to push the envelope and think differently and be differently. And I think that's what's been so amazing about his journey. Starting out a food truck revolution that really happened in LA and spread starting in the the great recession of 2008 that kind of really spread. And that is what fostered a lot of the conversations about really the changes of food and social media and all these things behind it. So really interesting story and journey there that we're grateful to have uh, have Roy share. And again, a lot about kind of pursuing what you love, what you care about. 
is uh, is the conversation. But some fun things here. What was it like, like writing your own story here in this one? Was it, I know for a lot of, you're not someone who's like necessarily putting themselves out there a lot, but what was it? A challenging process, a fun process to put your, your story out there? Well, thanks for starting off with the book. Uh, yeah, there were, I, I had heard those comments about the recipe because a lot of people, when they hear cookbook, they want things to be a little straightforward. They want it to hit all of the familiar things, even though we all have infamiliar, yes. not similar lives. We somehow believe we all have this common thread that we all grew up with apple pie or macaroni or casserole. And so cookbooks, a lot of times they want it to be like that. The way we wrote this book was, it was more, I think, something maybe you guys would appreciate is we tried to write it as a creative story. And the recipes were an extension of that story, which mm-hmm. Life, which was the life of Los Angeles and where I grew up. So really, instead of it being a chef-driven cookbook, mm-hmm. I want you to come out of each chapter feeling hopefully how I felt at that time. Mm-hmm. So the chapter was also written in many cases in the frame of mind that I was, whether I was 16 or 9 or 7 or in my mid-20s and couch surfing. I wanted to to get you to that place at the highs and lows. And then when you're out of that chapter, I wanted the food. Hopefully we transport you there and the food would taste. You would cook that food and connect with the spirit in that moment. Yeah. For example, there are recipes at the beginning from when I'm a kid and things like chili spaghetti and abalone porridge and kimchi. Those are things that I grew up around because they're specific to the chapter. Like my dad right. took me to like R-rated movies when I was a kid and we'd go to this coffee shop that was 24 hours called Bob's Big Boy. We'd always get a chili spaghetti after. So it was like, I wanted you to feel how it felt to eat like a, a gut-wrenching chili spaghetti at like, you know, midnight. Um, <laughs> eight years old after you watch like Midnight Express. In like the gambling chapter, which is chapter eight. That was probably the most vulnerable and sensitive chapter because I really tried tried to lay out where I was at my lowest point as an addict. And then so coming out of that chapter, which is, sorry, I'll just get to it real quick. So coming out of that chapter, you have things that reflected how it felt to eat at the casino at that time. Prime ribs, spaghetti, milkshakes, food that was brought to you when you're sitting table side playing cards and then drinking two chocolate milkshakes, <laughs> you know, like horrible spaghetti with marinara sauce and stale garlic bread. But I wanted to, you know, bring those to life. And so the recipes are a reflection of my life. Yeah. I can smell the, the old smoke hearing you talk about it. That, that yeah. And before I was a chef, I wanted to be a writer just like you guys. And um, so this was like a chance to try to take some creative you know, liberties. And I was very fortunate at the time that I had broke through with Kogi to have this level of freedom, you mm-hmm. know, um, to be able, not having a boss, not having really to try to be anything that I'm not. And so let's write the book that means the most. It's strange that people, how pigeonholed they want to make cookbooks and make right. sure that it had to, that it was hard to follow or that the recipes, even outside of the philosophical or abstract stuff, mm-hmm. Just structurally, that recipes had to be right. congregated in one space. Because yeah. all our recipes in this book come after each chapter. So right. they're not like, you can't just go and start at like page 85 to 195 and it would be all recipes. Yeah, desserts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, people were thrown off by that a lot. Yeah. 
But that's your kind of your, and in, what's interesting about it, I would say it, I think it would be weird if you wrote a book in that way. That's not your style. You're like, and one of the things that I've always admired about your work is you're a storyteller and not only like food, but the storyteller and the cooking process. What was your process as a writer and as a creator? Like, how do you, I always like to figure out like what your style is. Do you sit down and say, these stories are interesting. I'm inspired by it. Do you like block off time? How do you actually create in terms of from the written word? Yeah, for the book. So a lot of it goes back to, again, like how I was raised and who I was as a younger person. I, I was a very quiet kid growing up. So I um, you know, come from an immigrant family that really didn't nurture the arts too much. They were like, even though they were both very creative people, my mom actually went to our school. Coming to another country, it's they fell into a little bit of the spiral of they have to work hard so that you can go succeed and go to Georgetown. and become a doctor. <laughs> and so it, it was like, there was no time for any, a, a lot of the creative expressions, but it also that wasn't the biggest hindrance. I, they also were hustling the whole time. So I was left alone a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just a quiet kid. I didn't really have like my thing when I was younger. I'm a late bloomer. So I was like, always, I was always like in the mix and I was, out there, but I was, I never really had my individual expression. I couldn't, that, I couldn't sing <laughs> anything, but I was always in the mix. I was always watching and observing and just listening and I guess building that, that inventory. And then I went through my own struggles later on in my late teens and my 20, early twenties, because again, I still couldn't express this thing that was bubbling inside of me. I still found that thing. So I had, I ended up going into pathways of different vices, basically. And a lot of the stuff became just very personal suppressed journeys. And I never had a place for that. So anyway, so when I got to the point where I was going to write the book, these are all like stories and, and things that have been trapped inside of me for a very long time. I had, I was able to express them through the taste of Kobe. So when co- when people first tasted the Kogi Top, it was, I guess that was my first point of where I was able to write something, able to tell a story, but not with words. Because when people ate it, they felt a piece of themselves, mm-hmm. their childhood, if, especially for a lot of immigrant kids, they felt like finally someone um, understood them or, or they, because a lot of us that are immigrant kids, we grow up in double lives. So we have like our home life and then we go out into the real world. Mm-hmm. Um we put on the face and then we live out there and we, and we mix in. But anyways, so I had all these burdens. And so when finally it was my time, because the last thing I'll say on this for the setup is that you're not supposed to talk about any of this shit. Right. Right. Yeah. You're not supposed to reveal any of this stuff. You're always supposed to just keep it to yourself and the pain you keep to yourself and you deal with your own mental struggles and your own doubt and your own self-doubt and all that. When I started to write this book and, and try to go as deep as I could, because it was important to get this all out there because I know there are a lot of others, people that have gone through it or even young, next generation, younger kids that don't have anything to look for. Mm-hmm. To write it in the middle of the night, basically. It was a long, sorry about the long preamble. No, it's great. It's perfect. I love I had, it. I had to write the book from pretty much like 1 a.m. to about 5 a.m. When I felt that's like my time, actually, that's when I write too. I, well, I have little kids, yeah. like so. I that's the only time I can find quiet. But I'm, I write from about 11 p.m. until 4 a.m. is my usual jam. Yeah, and the reason I did that, and you know, your reasons are similar and probably different than mine. But the reason I did that was I felt like 
that was the time I could be the most honest because Interesting. It, yeah. I felt like that, that was the time maybe when the rest of the world was asleep, my own creative vision of it. Mm-hmm. And then I could say things and I could write things um, without having to be sorry and without to, it was a safe space where I could just put it out there and know, even if I didn't, it, even if I erased it all, mm-hmm. just get it out there. And, and by the time I erased it, no one would know. So that allowed me enough room to be able to um, try to go as deep as I could. That's amazing. And writing partners, because I'm not that great at grammar. <laughs> None of so us are. We just have to help. Yeah. And not just grammar, but they were, I'm a little more of an uneducated Jack Carroll. I don't know like when to stop you know, thoughts, they just come out. And so with Tim and Natasha, what I, what we did as a writing team, and sometimes when you become a writer, you think it's only like, we're sometimes brought up to believe like creative writing or fictional writing is like this individual kind of case study genius journeys. It's pretty cool to write in, in, in a team format. And a lot of here in Hollywood, they have what's called writer's rooms, mm-hmm. you know, where you get a bunch of people together and then you you write collectively. And so what we did was I would write from midnight to 5 a.m. and churn out as much as I could with no And then they would take that and then they would try to like piece it together and piece it up. And then they give it back to me and I take it and then I write again. So we do that about three times for every chapter. It's awesome. The iterative circle, the three, the 24 hours a day writing cycles. Yeah. Awesome. And, and exactly. And we keep it very tight. So we would make sure that the immediacy and the, the energy of the writing stayed intact. So we wouldn't just let it sit for weeks. If I turned something in, they would get it back to me within like two days. Mm-hmm. And then back to them within two days. You know, mm-hmm. and we, we would keep that. But then there were some stretches because obviously you hit writer's block. Yep. Um, and then, but the stretches, we those were between edits mm-hmm. when we create like new content. Yep. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, like how important momentum is, right? And figuring out your momentum. And that is something that's really uh, a powerful, but it's here. It's cool hearing you say it like that way of like that sort of cycle process and that iterative process. Cause it is, it's like writing is very lonely usually. And it's also very much like, how do you maintain momentum? And so having other people involved. So one of the things that we have a lot of authors in this group who are actually immigrants, uh, immigrants, children. And and I I thought, I always loved hearing your story of, so there's an author who actually just published a book called uh, lawyer, doctor, engineer, uh, what it's like to do what your parents don't want you to do. And so you, and I feel this affinity, you went to law school, which maybe surprised some people here, but yet you made this decision to pursue something passionate. What was it about that for you that just, that made you push forward and become, do what you needed to do, what you felt called to do? I don't know. I think it's something that's been with me my whole life. I've always lived triple, quadruple, quintuple lives. You know, mm-hmm. when I was, again, even when I was younger, now I grew up in a time where you could leave your kids alone. And so my parents would be working and like I was straight up five years old, hmm. fucking nobody around. And but at the same time, I find my own way to school. I'd ride the bus on my own. I'd, mm-hmm. You know, be into be into places on my own. I'd wander off on my own. And then that 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 went on throughout high school. But the thing that kept me grounded is my cultural background. It's like we always had to. You could be completely out of it, but you still had to show up for dinner breakfast or lunch at the table hmm. and it was a weird meeting point it was almost like base base camp in a way because hmm. i was living like three four separate lives sneaking out my window i was sometimes i was up until 5 50 5 59 a.m and then 
stumbling in the house and then making it to the breakfast table with him. And I was kind of like a cat, you know, mm-hmm. out there, but I'd be back and you'd have no idea what I did the last six <laughs> So a lot of that, what was the original question again? Sir? I was just asking like how you decided to push beyond some of those, like the norms of going to law school to make that. Oh, oh yeah. So because of all these multiple lives, I, one main part of my life is, you know, cause a lot of times here growing up in America as American, I'm American too, as American. It's sometimes it's very binary. It's either one or the other. It's right. like you, you can either be like a street kid or you can either become an athlete. I consider athletes to be intellectual in, mm-hmm. in the structure of things. Right. It's, if you play sports, then you're a jock or you're right. one thing and you can't be a scholar at the mm-hmm. same time. And we, we tend to compartmentalize the, the, the human, just the human, the beauty of our mind and, and, uh, and our soul. And, but for me, in my life, I was able to juggle all of those different lives together. And the main core of that life was that I had to go to college and I had to go to graduate school and I had to become some sort of professional. Mm-hmm. And I it wasn't, I, ju- I guess it's just, I had to, I had to try to hold on to that as long as I could. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I found every excuse to keep that charade up my whole it finally imploded mm-hmm. completely. And so like back in the, in the 90s, there before social media and all of this that we have now, there weren't many examples that you could show to your parents or to yourself, right. to anything, that there are alternate paths, that there is a level of creative entrepreneurship that, that, could, that could transform you. Very, it was very traditional at the time, and, right. and it was very compartmentalized. It was like, if I didn't, be, if I didn't get a degree, or if I didn't go into a profession that had four walls in an office, that somehow that I would be a failure. Right. But what it is, it was balanced by our life wasn't four walls in the skyscraper thing. Yeah, immigrant family, hustling, running merchant shops, mm-hmm. hanging out on the, we were hanging out on the streets and just getting by and trying to keep the lights on. So there were a lot of these these delusions, and and it just wasn't my place to. To break their dream, yeah. but but yeah, I I destroyed their dream in in a way that maybe was a little extreme, where I completely imploded and, and fell apart. But but yeah, that's I basically just walked out of law school. I couldn't. I, that, I it took that long for me to confront it. What's weird is like when you do come from an immigrant family, it just takes a little longer because right. you're into a lot of uh, you're born into a lot of baggage that you have to carry. Whereas I would see like my other friends that. Didn't have that baggage. Mm-hmm. They'd be fucking smoking cigarettes with their parents. That like mom would be like getting with their friends and like <laughs> each other, or whatever. So was, I don't know why I it was such a big deal to me, but it was like just everything was just so different and strange. Right. Yeah, it just took a while. It just took a while. Yeah, um, and then it, it was finally in law school where I was sitting there, and uh, it was a, a bit of a Spicoli moment where everything was just going over my head and because the law school is a Socratic method so yeah. Yeah. they would call on you yeah and it's good at hiding in the back <laughs> good at getting called on so. <laughs> and I just realized that, that like this we all have that maybe we all have these moments and maybe if you haven't had them that yet you'll have them yeah those kind of crystallized moments where you realize this is not yeah for the rest of my life and I felt that sitting in law school. Yeah, I just kind of, 
It was a very operatic moment in my yeah, mind. Yeah, I can almost, I can see it playing out. Like I just- It was very cinematic. <laughs> I, in my mind, I feel like I walked out, I picked up my stuff and I walked out. Yeah. There's like this crescendo. close behind me. <laughs> yeah, and my life was ahead of me, but- yeah. Wasn't that romantic? It, it feels like a Hollywood movie. I can, I can, I, it's funny you say that too. This idea of like, if you find yourself hiding from being called on, that's probably a sign you're in the wrong place. And I think that's a really interesting like yeah. uh, moment for you. So one of the things that I always love about the way that you've approached the world too, is you're very like authentic. You just are who you are at this point, which obviously you've grown into, as you said here. I, I want to, one of my favorite moments, and I'm, I'm a big you know fan of your work. I, I love the, the the Netflix special with, show with you and John. I There's a, a moment where you guys have beignets and you figure out that they're old. And there's this moment where in, in a lot of other places, they would have cut that and said, we can't show this sort of thing here, but you left it in. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about why you're such a big believer in this sort of being authentic, being real uh, today and, and how you live your life in that way. That scene in the chef show is that is a product of, of you know, two like-minded souls, John and myself being, being people that believe in, in the, the, the pathway to creativity as much as right. creativity. And the, and the end result itself as well. And comedy and humor and, <laughs> and not taking ourselves too seriously and, and still having the, and also having a, a DIY behind the scenes development of trying to sometimes imperfections are a part of the story, you know, right. Um, right. especially cooking. And I think also in writing and mm-hmm. you know, on in, in independent filmmaking, sometimes movies that are made on low budgets and there are mistakes in there, right. but that, that's a part of the process of making that film. It's what makes sometimes those films cult classics. And so John and myself, even though we've gotten, you know, a little bit older and achieved certain things, we have never lost that part of ourselves as far as creative creativity goes. Mm-hmm. And so the show itself was, the premise of the show was always, let's just turn a camera on and let's just cook mm-hmm. and figure it out. And we'll figure it out from there. There was never any script. Any, any grand purpose to proving how much we can cook or what we know. There was never any soapbox or anything that we wanted to do. And, 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 and it wasn't really also, it wasn't really like a tutorial show. Right. No, it was like, it was very uh, Kung Fu in a way in which you learn as you go, you're immersed in it. And it's not about following kind of the, the spec sheet, it's about being in the moment and like absorbing it all. Yeah, with, with the beignet scene, it was, <laughs> that was just a real moment. It was a real moment that we were able to capture because we had no idea the box was stale. Everything about it looked great. And yeah. uh, then we ate it. And yeah, I guess most people would cut, cut it at some point, but I guess that's what comes from being, being, having independence in art. Yeah, that's interesting. Because the chef show was a very independent project between myself. You know, he funded the, the whole project. He filmed it. We cooked it. The, the premise of it was very pure and honest. And it was just really two friends wanting to continue to spend more time together and then picking a food item that he grew up with or that he really loves and he, that he wants to learn more about and then meet mm-hmm. other chefs teaching him. And that's really it. And when you have that creative freedom, we can find really special moments with that. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've been so gracious. I, I, I don't want to take too much time. I have one more question and then we'll do, we do a group photo where we always like to get everyone together to memorialize this moment. And you have a very important job here, Roy. You have to tell us 
what we are going to do on screen. So we've had the hostage negotiator who had us call. We had Ariana Huffington blow kisses. So this is an important one. But before that one, I have one last question for you that I, I wanted to, to, to get your take on a little bit here is this idea of like storytelling. And you've done just a great job of that one. Uh, and you weave it into it. Is there, there are moments when you're, you know, in these experiences with you're in the celebrity world, in the world of entertainment, how do you tell stories that, uh, that appeal to people? Is there sort of something that you think about or is it natural or how do you let the story come true through the food and the experiences? When, when Kogi first started 12 years ago and when I realized that something very special was happening, mm-hmm. I was in a, I was in a creative mind of where I had to be a bit of a portal and a conduit to what was really happening on the streets mm-hmm. and to, to be almost a bit of a microphone to the immediacy and the visceral like life that exists, that it was a, a voice of the voiceless type of thing. Here's, there's no filter through it at all. It's just, let me be the thing and let the truck be the thing and let the food and the flavors be the thing that, that, is able to tell all the different stories and gossip and shit talking and, and love and hate and everything that's going on in that moment. It was very moment focused. And now that it's gone on a while and doing a little more kind of content stuff and television and, and creating and um, building more layered concepts as far as restaurants go and stuff up. I feel like um, I'm, I'm in a way documenting and trying to bring to life the people that, that the people and the places that I, that raised me, that I feel um, are a part of who I am, a part of whatever city that it is that I'm representing, uh, even a part of America, um, really trying to just, express like I guess what I'm trying to say is there there are all these things that we have in our lives that sometimes the world deems to be not valuable Hmm. yeah just things for example I've the whole existence of Kogi is growing up the most beautiful thing that I have always imagined like if I was to make a painting of my life things that that, that, that encompassed my whole sphere, my whole existence. It would be standing in a parking lot between dusk and nighttime, mm. uh, sunset and dusk. And that, that exact moment between when the sun is going down and the street lamps are coming up mm-hmm. and friends and nobody really having that much, but we're all sharing. We, there, there are no possessions. Everyone is sharing with each other. And and you just stay there and linger for as long as you can. Hmm. That is that moment that I never want to end. So those are things that I always cherish. And again, if that was a painting, that was the painting of my life. But then a whole life, those were called, that was called worthless. It was like, that was, that's just worthless, wasting a waste of time. Yeah. That thing that was, that I was conditioned and brainwashed to believe was worthless, that I felt was most beautiful. Mm-hmm the essence of Kogi, which changed, I think, a certain part of the world. Yeah, I agree. And a certain part of humanity. And it brought to life and, and, and it upended, even on a specific example, how Americans and kind of Western European ideology looked at food from the streets. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Used to be called dirty. We used to be called roach coaches. Used to be, there used to be all the horrible jokes of if you eat that, you're going to get diarrhea. Mm-hmm. That, right? From academia, from Western European mindsets. And then now that same thing is gourmet and it changed the whole industry and it gave people so many opportunities to learn about each other. And those foods now are, have become culture and have become part of people's lives that had never been exposed to them or had maybe been mocking them before. You should embrace the stories that move you, not what everyone yes. else says it is. That's what this is. And I, when you were talking, I got chills, man. That was amazing. I have to tell you, like this idea of we all have a story to tell. And just because no one else has heard it, know that it's valuable does not mean it's not valuable. And that, like you said, I had no idea this moment from dust to, from you know sunset to dusk would mean something, but it would change mm-hmm. the whole world. And you're right. Like the last 12 years, that moment for you has changed so much for so many. I, I, I just try to be a little more aware and sensitive. And I feel like it's in a way, it's a responsibility that I have now. I just... I try to bring storytelling to everything that I'm doing, even through things like social justice, problems that burden our neighborhoods and our people and our future generations, like lack of access and uh, to food, to healthy food, to jobs, to internet, to coffee. Any, instead of being argumentative and political about things, I try to look at these very difficult issues and try to find the stories within them. Mm-hmm. And I try to I try to find a way for people to understand how bad it is through storytelling. And what I mean by all of that is that a lot of times my, my style of writing or my style of, of storytelling is that these are the things that I that I grew up around that I feel that are very important. I was made to believe that they weren't important. Mm-hmm. And, and now that I have the ability to, you know, tell any story that I want to tell, I choose to tell these stories because mm-hmm. because there's just so much there's just so much to tell. I love it. I love it. Thank you.